And it should appear on the screen as well. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And in my Bible, and it may be in yours, it has a footnote saying the Greek word for tempted can also mean tested. So we'll read it again. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Shall we just pray? Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that we have the privilege of having your word in our hands, and we can also have it in our hearts. And we pray that as we look at this passage, that you will speak um, through your word. And I submit my words as well to you, Lord. Meet with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. On my bookshelf, I have um, a big book of quotes. And I, I sort of dip into it now and again, um, sometimes for sermon illustrations and things like that. And I looked this afternoon at some quotes about temptation. And here are just a few that I found. I thought, ooh, that would be good. If it takes temptation and sin to show God in his true colors and Satan in his... Something has been saved from this wreck. That was Michael Green. If you go over it a few times, it makes even more and more sense. Martin Luther, amazing man of God. He says, my temptations have been 
my master of divinity. Thomas Akempis, there is no order so holy, no place so secret, where there will be no temptation. Temptations are everywhere, and so is the grace of God. We might want to ask, why does God allow temptation? And as we have read together, sometimes, certainly in the New Testament, the word temptation and the word testing are the same words and could be interchangeable. And we read the account of Jesus being tempted or tested by the devil in the wilderness. And if you were at Chipping Camden this morning, um, I know not all of you were, so this will go Um, We were looking in our series in Moses about the people of God traveling through the wilderness. And there is a direct correlation here between those two things, of the people of God wandering 40 years in the desert to the promised land, living in between that promise and fulfillment, and a journey that should have only taken weeks. Could have taken 40 days. And here, Jesus, in the wilderness, led out by the Holy Spirit. The Israelites, it says in Deuteronomy, were led for that time in the wilderness to be humbled and tested to see what was in their hearts. Imagine, I don't know, this is only supposition and and conjecture, that if they'd been obedient from the moment they'd left, that they would have got there in 40 days. I don't know. Here in this passage, as we look at temptation or testing, the enemy that we fight against, the the spiritual battle that we're involved in, the enemy uses temptation and testing for evil. And here Satan comes to Jesus to persuade Jesus to fall, to do wrong, to be disobedient. On the other hand, God uses testing for our good. And even here, it's interesting if you pick it up um, that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't lured there by the enemy. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew's account of of Jesus' life, It follows on from the genealogies that, uh, if you're anything like me, you start them and you just sort of then glaze over and you look through them. Some are really interesting, I know. And then the accounts of the birth of Jesus, which we read often at Christmas at carol services and nativities, and the visit of the Magi and the attempt on Jesus' life very early on by Herod. And then his escape as a refugee to to Egypt. And then there's the return, and then there's silence. There's only Luke in the Gospels that has one of the stories of Jesus when he was 12 years old, and that uh, you can read it for yourself, 
when they'd come to Jerusalem for one of the festivals and, and they head off again and the parents' nightmare, we've lost our son, where is he? And he, they find him in the temple and he says, I have to be in my father's house. It's another thing that Mary treasures up in her heart and tells Luke when he does all his studying for his gospel. But here in Matthew, we jump straight to the baptism that John preaches and Jesus comes to be baptized. And it's such a significant moment as Jesus steps out of obscurity, in it, as it were. I mean, up to this moment, probably no one outside of Nazareth, and even in Nazareth, only the closest people would have known who Jesus was. And he steps out into his public ministry. And he's baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness. And then we have that wonderful moment as he comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And there's a voice from heaven from his father saying, this is my son whom I love. What an amazing moment. We would call it a mountaintop experience. And then he is led into the wilderness. Has that ever happened to you? You've had one of those amazing moments with God. And then the next thing, it seems that you're led into the wilderness. Well, it happens. Jesus is preparing for his earthly ministry. And this is an important aspect of the whole plan of God to save the world, this encounter with the enemy. See, up to now, Satan has not had a problem with human beings at all. Up to now, he's got a 100% record when it comes to human beings. Right from Eve, all the way through. And now, God has come as a human being. And this encounter is not Jesus in his divinity going to put Satan in his place. This is Jesus in his humanity coming on our behalf to destroy all the works of the evil one. So Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. It's an examination, in a way, of Jesus' messianic vocation. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, the devil comes. Notice that. He doesn't come right away. He comes after 40 days and 40 nights. Clearly, Satan wants to bring Jesus down. And this test or temptation that Jesus endures, encounters, will define what kind of Messiah he will be. Will he succeed where Adam and Eve failed? Will he succeed where Israel failed? Will he succeed where you and I failed? And 
And in this encounter, Jesus on our behalf, confronted by the devil. And in many ways, the devil is a very predictable enemy. He has been the sworn enemy of God and the human race since he was thrown out of heaven. When we read the early chapters of Genesis, he's already there, isn't he? We're not actually given the account of when God hurls him out. There's glimpses of it in Isaiah and other places in the Old Testament, but there's not that there. He is there from the creation of Adam and Eve, isn't he? And his tactics and strategies have not changed in all those years. He is out to destroy and deceive. And Jesus' confrontation in the wilderness will be our example in overcoming a predictable enemy and will show us the beauty of Jesus, who although was tempted in every way, the Bible says, Jesus was not exempt from temptation. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin, the only one. Satan in Paul's letters is described as the God of this age, small g, who blinds people to the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, Satan has set himself up as Lord of this world. And in many ways, he does hold sway over the earth. That's why Jesus comes, to destroy all the works of the evil one. He's just a usurper, though. He has established a principality, mimicking the kingdom of God, calling for allegiance, holding court. And so this is a key battle. Satan's values are opposite and opposed to the values of the kingdom of God. Who rubs his hands when a child is washed up on a beach in Greece? The devil does. Who rubs his hands together when Christians are beheaded on the beaches of Libya? The devil does. Of all the evil in the world, he rejoices over it. Don't give him the benefit of the doubt. It's where it all comes from. And Jesus has come to destroy all the works of the evil one. Satan's values are opposite to and opposed to the values of the kingdom of God. And one of his strategies is to tempt humanity to adopt his corrupted values. And you can see that in the world in which we live. What God makes good, Satan twists and makes it ugly. So here comes his attack 
confrontation with Jesus, knowing that he's got a 100% record with humanity, I think he thinks he can take Jesus. He uses these temptations to persuade Jesus to desert God's kingdom path for an easier path. It's a temptation to fall. Notice his words. If you are the Son of God. He knows exactly who Jesus is. He was in heaven. He knew Jesus. Jesus was the darling of heaven, enthroned in heaven, the glory and majesty of heaven. He knows who he is. What a goal, if you are. He's come after 40 days and nights fasting in the wilderness. If you are the Son of God, tell those stones to become bread. And every fiber in Jesus' human body is crying out for food. Have you ever been hungry? I don't think we have. You know, I, I've even used the word, I'm famished. I don't know what it is like to be hungry. I never have. And it only really, really came home to me when I met a lady who had been eating grass and feeding her family grass to survive when she fled Syria. Jesus would have been really, really hungry. When we went to the Open Doors event and uh, the lady from North Korea was sharing, she said, the real physical pain of being hungry. Hunger is used as a weapon to starve people. So the devil comes. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He believes Jesus will be at his weakest and most vulnerable. And he chooses food as the first temptation. The temptation is not really about food, but it's the temptation to satisfy your own need, Jesus. Because Jesus can turn stones into bread. He can do it. He can multiply food. Satisfy your own need, Jesus. Live for yourself. He tempts Jesus to rely on his own strength. To which Jesus replies, and it's so brilliant. Jesus is so brilliant. It is written. Notice he doesn't say, Satan, don't you know who I am? Flick him away. No. He answers in his humanity and he quotes the Bible. The Old Testament scriptures, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's the very passage where Moses says about the people in the wilderness, you grumble so much, you always quarreling. God has led you in the wilderness to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. That's where this quote comes from. And Jesus uses it. 
Moses said that the people in the wilderness for those 40 years were tested in order to, to know what was on their heart, who would, they would love and serve and obey, and Jesus overcomes for us. So Satan comes again, the second temptation. He, he tempts Jesus to manipulate his father into action. There's a tradition in, in, in Jewish uh, rabbinical teaching that they believe that the, the Messiah would appear on the top of the temple as a conquering hero. And he'd come and he'd drive out the Romans and it would all be great. And the cheek of the devil is this. He even quotes scripture at Jesus. He even quotes it. It is written. And he quotes Psalm 91. But he twists it for his own ends. Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off the temple. Because it says in the Bible that if you do that, your heavenly Father will catch you. He won't allow you to be injured. And it's true, that's what the Bible says. But Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is another reference to that wandering in the wilderness, the people of God for those 40 years. Because at Mirabar Massa or Rephidim, they tested God. They were even saying, we don't know if God's with us anymore. And God said, until you learn, you will go round and round and round. Until there's a generation who will go for me. Satan deals in lies and half-truths. Have you ever noticed that? He'll lie to your face. But he'll also say half-truths. Like his claim in the third temptation. He claims to have authority over all the nations. In his temptations, he packages them to sound like truth. But if you listen to them, if you are, if you are. Remember when he tempted Eve, he said, did God really say that? Questions your judgment. Questions what you know about God. Did he really say that? And his smooth voice sounds so plausible and at times pleasurable that it's easy to be taken in, as Eve discovered. That third temptation, he says, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. He shows him in a moment all the kingdoms of the world. I don't know what that would have looked like. And all you have to do is bow down and worship me. Imagine that. Satan saying to Jesus, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. The temptation is to not go through the cross. That's what it is. Jesus goes through the cross to the glory. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. Satan is saying, you don't have to do that. 
I've got a shortcut. I've built a bypass. All you have to do is worship me and I'll give you it all. If you worship me. And Jesus, by this time, just says, away from me, Satan. And if you've never used that in your life, start using it. You have all the authority in the name of Jesus. Say, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan tempts Jesus to compromise. He tempts Jesus to be selfish. He tempts Jesus to bypass the cross, to avoid the path of humility and suffering. See, Satan's call is all for self-rule, self-sufficiency, self-promotion. And Jesus, in his humanity, has none of it. And this account of the temptations of Jesus reveal some of the battleground where the enemy goes for our hearts and our lives. He lies, though. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies, the author of lies. He says when the devil speaks, he speaks his native language, which is untruth. He misleads, he misrepresents, and he exaggerates. But if you know the values of the kingdom of God, you will see right through Satan's plans. And with Jesus in our hearts, with his word in our hands, and with his Holy Spirit, Within us, we are armed and equipped for the battle. And the battle is constant. Just because we are saved doesn't mean that Satan calls himself off us. He doesn't. If he can't stop you coming to Christ... then he works on making you the least effective Christian you can be. To rob you of your joy, to rob you of your hope, to rob you of the sense of being loved by a heavenly father, he will do all he can to rob you of those things. He is so predictable. But he also knows the vulnerable places in our hearts and will seek to exploit them. Only you know and I will know the vulnerable places in our own hearts. And he will go for them. Because he wants to bring you low. But this is the glorious news. Jesus went through that temptation for us. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus won. Where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus won. Where you and I failed, Jesus won. And he won for us. And Satan has no power over us. 
Temptation, as we know, is not a sin. It's always a choice. But it's never a friend. Testing, that can be a friend. But temptation is Satan's slow-burning fuse to demolish your life. I can't remember the book I read that from, but I liked it so much, I wrote it down. Temptation is Satan's slow-burning fuse to demolish your life. If you know that Satan is out to demolish your life, then we're armed, aren't we? That's why one of the reasons, I have so many reasons to say I am so, so proud of Jesus. I hope you are too. And we love him. And I'm so glad that Jesus fought this battle in the desert and won. Satan couldn't deceive him, couldn't tempt him, couldn't overcome him. And there on the cross, Jesus will pay the ultimate price for us. Not just here in the desert, but on the cross and in the empty tomb. So I hope that you're encouraged. I am encouraged that God sometimes will use the trials and temptations of our lives to refine us. To purify us. To draw us deeper into his love and his grace. But we know this, Jesus has overcome and we belong to him. Jesus has overcome and we belong to him. Maybe a silly illustration that's just come to mind and I'm wondering whether I should use it or not. Hey-ho. You love me, so. My first days in secondary school were terrifying. There was this one guy who had it in his heart to beat me up. I don't know why, didn't really know him. He was a school bully. I had a friend called Clinton. He had six brothers. He wasn't big himself, but he had six really big brothers. And he saw this guy going for me, and he just stood in the way, and he said, you touch him, my brothers will come after you. Guy never touched me again. Jesus is with us. He is in us. He stands for us. And we have power in his name. Satan may come after us, but we have Jesus. He's the biggest brother you could ever need. (coughs) Nothing can separate us from his love. And one day, it is written in the scriptures that he is going to present us to his father without fault and with great joy. And to him be all the glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a light.